Thank you for listening to the Cultivate Church audio podcast. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and motivated. Now here's today's message. I love, I love the very beginning of a new year. And there's a reason. It's not because I love like resolutions or anything like that. We typically, you know, that doesn't do very well over time. But what I love about it being the first is potential. It's the first Sunday of a decade, the potential that that this holds for the next 10 years, Uh, the potential this Sunday holds for the next 52 weeks, Like, like resolutions haven't been broken yet. We haven't told any lies yet on on the things that we're going to accomplish this year. Like there's no, at this point right now in most of our lives, there's no disappointment because we didn't hold up our end of the bargain, the potential of what could happen, what might happen, what would and will happen is really just at an all time high. Our vision is high. Faith is high. Come on. It's the perfect time for a reset. Reset. I love that because I'm ready for a reset. Who's uh, who? Who like has forgotten what day it is over the last ten days at one point or another? Uh, uh, kids start back this next week. Come on, who is pumped about that? That's worth celebrating. If nothing else, school is coming, and uh, like it's just time to reset. We began sending our kids to bed early again uh, this weekend, and it was incredible, except uh, at about 1045 last night, I heard my nine-year-old singing along with Alexa, uh, sent her to bed at seven, and she would be like, Alexa, and then she'd start singing, and and then, you know, we've got it on our phones where we can control that, so I, I turned that thing off, and she was like, Alexa? <laughs> Are you there? (laughs) Go to bed. (laughs) Go to sleep. It's time to reset. And we're kicking off a brand new series to kick off a decade, to kick off a new year. 2020, potential is high. Faith is high. Man, we're ready to see God do new things. I mean, everybody's doing, we're already in the mindset. People are cleaning out. Anybody else clean a bunch of stuff out this week? I mean, you're, you're throwing stuff away. Lowe's is empty of storage containers because everybody's on the same track. Everyone's on the same thought process. We're starting over. Man, everything's going to be new. And if you look back over the last year, there are things maybe that this year you're going to capitalize on. Man, I did good there. We did good here. And we're just going to continue on in a a good direction. And then maybe there's some things that you're like, I was a complete and utter failure at. This did not go out the way I thought. And I'm just going to forget the former things, Isaiah says, and I'm going to press on to starting over. It's a perfect time for reset. And the series we're kicking off this month is called Re. Re. There's a lot of things we just need to redo, reset, repurpose, start over. Aren't you glad for a, for a redo? Huh? I mean, here's what I know. Maybe you're new here. Maybe it's your first time at Cultivate. You can look around. There's hundreds of people, a little over 800 people call our church home at both campuses. Uh, and you'll never find one person that's on their first go at this thing. You'll never find one person that's gotten it all right all the time. 
One of the things I love about our church is this is a church full of people who are just regular people working it out, working out our salvation, figuring this thing out together, doing life together, celebrating with one another, mourning with one another, doing life together, figuring it out. And my hope is that we can continue to do that through 2020. And then by the end of this year, we can look back and see the potential that was actually realized realized the potential that was there that we watched God grow us in. So if you've got your notes, go ahead and pull those out. We're going to read along together. This is our theme verse. We'll read this together all month. And this is really what I would love for us to kind of set as a theme for 2020. We can all start fresh. We're on the same page. We're all on the same playing, playing ground. We're on the same level this morning. And I love this passage of scripture. Over my time in following Jesus, this has always really been a refocus moment for me as I read this passage of scripture. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And this is my hope for us all year long. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's his pleasing, good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. And I love this translation that's in your notes, but be transformed. Here's what that means. It means that it, it's something reliant on us, that it is something that I have to do. God says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but you be transformed. And that original language is literally a responsibility being placed on you and me. It's a decision that I make every day of my life to wake up and say, God, today, I'm not going to copy the customs and behaviors of this world, but today I'm going to renew the way that I think. And I love the trans, I love what he says. It's an if then kind of connotation in scripture. You can see that all throughout the Bible. If you do this, then this will happen. If this happens, then this will happen. And we see if we allow the Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to begin to transform the way we think, then we will be able to test and approve God's perfect will. Maybe you've asked yourself this question so many times in your life. God, I just want to know what your will is. Anybody ever said that? Just show me the right way. Like, I'll do it. Just give me direction. Just guide me. And it's kind of uh, this idea that if I'll just sit back, God, you just show me whatever and I'll do it. But God's saying, the only way I can show you whatever and you do it is if you begin to change the way you think. What's he saying? You've got to begin to choose who has the authority in your life. Today, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to say, no matter what I see in culture, God, I'm going to choose to believe your word first. No matter what I see going on around me, I'm choosing to change the way I think. So no matter what I feel, what I see in your word is what's going to hold truth in my life. Then I'll be able to understand and realize the perfect will of God. So I'm going to talk to you today. The title of our message is Refresh. Refresh. It's just, ah, it's just refreshing. What does that look like to live a refreshed life in 2020? We're going to dive in first and what's causing us to not be. Why are we not refreshed? Why are we, why are we wore out? Why are we needing refreshment 
in our lives. And then I'll, we'll, we'll end our day today and I'll give you some principles that I believe will be helpful to us as we walk out 2020, all right? So if you're with me, let's pray and then we'll dive in and take notes together. Lord, we love you. Man, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your presence. And it is refreshing that it is life-giving. God, every time I've ever been in a moment where your presence was there, I've never left drained. I've never left worn out. It's always been a life-giving experience. And God, I pray in this moment that when we leave these four walls together, that we're reminded of the life-giving power and presence of Jesus and the power of his resurrection, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that we would begin to change the way we think so that we can begin to understand your perfect will for our lives and our families. You'll get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one, if you're taking notes, we are too tired. We're too tired. Anybody ever hear that from people? Like you probably hear it on a daily basis. If you ask anyone at any given moment, hey, how you doing? Especially if you walk through a high school. Like you walk through a high school, you talk to a bunch of teenagers, how you doing? I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm just wore out. I don't know why. I'm just tired. Uh, uh, Most of us in America and in our culture, we think our day begins in the morning. It's like from morning to night. We wake up, we get going, we start our day, we end our day by going to sleep. But really, that's kind of counter uh, to, to how people actually thought about their days scripturally. Biblically, in Hebrew culture, they actually began their day at night. So the day began when the sun went up, went down, and it, and it started over. So it, it, was, it wasn't morning to night, it was actually night to morning. What if I actually told you that today, a good day today really depended on how I began it last night? If I can, if I can start it well at night, really, no matter what goes on happening throughout the day, I can always have a good day. We're too tired because we just don't have enough sleep. Everybody say sleep. One, two, three. Sleep. Come on. The glorious sleep. I mean, who loves to sleep. Y'all going to walk away here today and you're going to go, my pastor said to go home and sleep. It's awesome. We need more sleep. We don't have enough. Roughly, we have about 14 and a half hours from evening time to morning. Typically, that's generally what most of us have uh, uh, on average is about 14 and a half hours. And the vast majority of us waste most of that time. We're not intentional and we're not, and we're not, uh, we're, we're not purposeful in how we use and spend that time because our mindset is it's the end of a day and I'm just winding down and I don't need to do anything and I just need to. And so you just kind of, we just kind of flounder that time. What if I said it's that time, those 14 and a half hours that actually matter the most because we're too tired. You know, before 1879, on average, our great-great-grandparents were sleeping on average 10 hours a night. Come on, somebody y'all would like, if I got 10 hours a night. Like you're just starting to daydream about 10 hours worth of sleep. Most of us haven't had 10 hours worth of sleep in years. Some of us would probably say, I don't even know if I've ever had 10 hours of sleep. Today, Americans sleep on average 6.8 hours. On average, 6.8 hours. And there's a problem. There's a reason for that. Y'all ready for it? Y'all ready for the reason? It's this thing right here. Ding. 
You see, before 1879, we had 10 hours worth of sleep because what else could we do? Anything that was actually going to happen had to be happen, had to, when the sun went down, had to happen over candlelight. So what did we do? We, uh, before 1879, we, we ate dinner. We talked a little bit around the fire. We got bored and we went to sleep. And then along comes this thing, December 31st, 1879. He flips the first switch on the light and all of a sudden, the whole world began to change on how people could use more time throughout the day. And now here we are. Not only do we have this, we've got this and we've got these and like it's never ending. And you go, I don't know why I couldn't sleep last night. I don't really know. And then you look at what you did and you watched, you know, die hard for two and a half hours before you went to sleep. And, and you were scrolling through your cell phone until the last little second. Some of y'all probably last night actually fell asleep like this. And it was like, <clears throat> like it, it just, you finally just conked out while scrolling through something uh, because we have, we were focused way too much on stuff. We're too Tired studies have conclusively linked sleeplessness to irritability, to anger, to depression, to anxiety, to mental exhaustion. This guy named Tom Rath actually wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal, and he said that getting four hours less sleep, so whatever number it is that you sleep a night on average, getting four hours less sleep is equal to drinking a six-pack of beer. Think about that. It's equal to being impaired to a six-pack of alcohol. Do you want a person operating your car or bus or an airplane on the equivalent of six-pack of, six of, of alcohol? Would you want a person, like if you're going to get on a plane this week, would you want the person driving the plane to have an average of five to six hours of sleep? No. How would you feel if the surgeon that was about to operate in you only had a few hours of sleep the night before? And they're coming in like... <laughs> like, like, well, how would you feel? Should a person teaching your kids show up for work in this state? What about, is it okay? Would it be okay to, for a manager to show up for work completely impaired, like slurring and not really being a, a, awake? Is it okay for a banker or your accountant to essentially be drunk when making important decisions about your finances? On average, we would say it's not that big a deal. It's just a couple of hours of sleep that I missed. I missed. But the reality is, on average, we are just too tired. We're not getting enough rest. We all need to sleep. We all need to sleep. Much of how we structure our work day is based on the flawed assumption that cutting sleep is a way to get ahead and be more effective. What's the optimal amount of sleep? Experts say that the optimal amount of sleep each night is eight hours, is eight hours. But the studies have proven that the top performers, the most, the, the top performers in our culture get on average eight hours and 36 minutes a day. They prioritize sleep. They prioritize sleep. That means they don't, like at certain time, I don't, I don't, I don't watch like crazy things that are going to stimulate my brains and it's going to keep me up for the next three hours. I prioritize my sleep. We need to turn off the lights and sleep. We're too tired. We're too tired. Number two, if you're taking notes, we're too stimulated. We're too stimulated. Part of the reason we can't sleep is because we're never not turning. Our brains are never not working. Never, 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 never. Here's what the Bible says. 
1 Corinthians 6, 12. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but you want to underline this. Not everything is good for you. Not everything is good. Even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Maybe while you're here, you'll sit down and you'll go, what is it that has me? You know, the Bible says it's not, there's really nothing in this world that, that's wrong for you to have. It's what has you that matters. And what has me? What's got a grip on my attention most of the time? We spend more time on screens than any generation before us. And listen, guys, it's not better. We haven't improved on many things. Americans check their phones on average every 12 years minutes on average. That's 80 times a day. The average person struggles to go more than 10 minutes without checking their phone. Every time it rings, have you guys seen the YouTube videos where this kid's like making uh, making uh, false noises and his dad's like, every time he would like make a little ring, his dad'd be like, you know, and it's not even doing it, but we're just programmed. As soon as we hear a ding or a, or a certain sound, we're just programmed to look. We're addicted to being stimulated. 31% of people feel regular anxiety when they're separated from their phone. Did you guys know that there's an actual company that has built and designed a block? It's just a plastic block that's the size and shape and weight of an average phone. They sell it on Amazon for $15.99, and they have sold millions of them, and it's to help people not feel anxiety when they're holding something like their phone. We are just too stimulated. So if we don't have it in our pocket or in our hand or close by, there's anxiety that consumes our minds. We're so addicted to technology that people would rather do some crazy things. You know, people People would rather, on average, when polled, they would rather not purchase groceries for the day if it meant that they had to pay, that they couldn't pay for their cell phone in that moment. They would rather pay for the cell phone than to purchase groceries for their family. People would rather give up sex for a week than to give up their phone for a day. People would rather, people, it's not making us smarter. It's actually making us dumber. It's making us dumber. We spend significantly more time stimulating our brains than we do resting our brains. I'll give you a good book to read if you want to, if you want to kind of dive into this idea. It's called The TechWise Family. The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. It's an incredible book. It helped my family over the past year really kind of shift and make changes. You know, you got a problem when my son gets into the car um, and like, and we're going like on a five-minute trip to the store and he says, movie, please. Like all the time, like, like I'm bored. I need my, like you just like, we're too stimulated. It's time to stop conforming to the world and actually begin to allow God to transform the way we think. What if I could live a life this year, not stimulated by culture and things of the world? What if I could live a life this year? I'm not saying, I'm not saying we got to like be Amish and get rid of complete technology, I'm saying, but maybe we need to stay, take a step closer to that. Maybe we can stop being so stimulated by culture and the things around us that we might actually have room in our brain for God to actually speak. I love, that's why we fast and pray because fasting simply turns down the volume of the world so that we can hear the voice of God a little more. 
We're too stimulated. I love this one, number three. We're too rushed. We're too rushed. Anybody else rush around like, like you're just always in a hurry and you're always going? And like I'm, I'm I used to be, I, I'm, I am actively growing. I'm your pastor. I will confess, I am actively growing in that particular area. I used to be so bad that many of you know, I would rush out of like a room or rush out of, and I would forget everything, completely absent-minded. And I'd be like, where's my stuff? I don't know where it's, and like, I'm still there sometimes because I'm just always feeling the pressure to go. And I love Luke chapter two. It says that Jesus loved Martha and his, and her, uh, and Lazarus. Loved them. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So he loved them so much that he stayed. That he didn't hurry, he didn't get up, and you can read it in John chapter 11. It's the story that they're really good friends with Jesus, and they come, and they say it was at least a two-day trip to get to them. And, and they said, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. We really need you to hurry and get here. And the Bible says that he loved them so much that when he heard about it, he stayed two more days. Now, who would be ticked about that? Come on, y'all ever call somebody like in an emergency situation and they'd be like, all right, I'll be there in two days. And you're like, no, 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 you don't get it. I need you to hurry, like rush, rush, rush. Jesus was never found hurrying in scripture. He loved them so much, if you know the story, that he was willing to show, he was making room for a miracle. The Bible says he loved them, so he waited. And when he, because he waited those two days, when he got there, Lazarus was dead. He was dead. And everybody around him is rushing Jesus. And Mary and Martha, they're angry and they're ticked. And they come to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, if you would have been here on time, had you hurried, he wouldn't be dead. But now he's dead. And Jesus spoke to them. He, because I loved them. He loved them, so he waited. And he said, you don't understand. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Though anybody, like though you die, you will, you will live. And he called Lazarus out of the grave. And because he waited, there was room for God to work a miracle. Two things you always people hear people say when, when you're asked how they're doing. It's, I'm tired, right? We hear that one. We've already spoke about that one. And I'm busy. Anybody ever hear, I'm just, I'm just so busy. Man, life is just so full. We're busy like it's a medal hanging around our necks. We're busy like it's a trophy that I carry from place to place and day to day. And if people don't see that I'm busy and that I'm rushed and that I'm hurrying, they don't see value that I might add to them. I'm just too busy. Working 80 hours a week, it doesn't make you a hero. It just makes you tired. It just makes you wore out. You know this, that busy people are more stressed. Busy people are, are even less successful. Did you know the, the, the most successful people in our culture actually work less hours in a, in a given week? Their priorities are shifted and are changed. Busyness kills creativity and productivity. Did you know that? Busyness leaves no room for God to work miracles in our lives. I love this quote. Don't confuse activity with productivity. Many people are simply busy being busy. We're too busy. There's just too much going on. We need to build time in our lives this year to refresh our souls, to focus on what matters. What does it matter that I'm so busy doing that I really accomplish nothing?
You know, multitasking was once thought of as a, as a super skill. Like, like they would hire people that could multitask. And then studies have proven over the last 20 to 30 years that multitasking actually produces less productivity. Less things happen the more we think we can do. They've actually proven that if you can just focus on one task at a time, it actually takes less time to accomplish more tasks one at a time than it does to accomplish all of these tasks working on them all together. We should not so, like, like our minds, like it's okay, I'm releasing you from culture's idea that, it's, that we just need to be busy. I would love to be able to talk to some of you this year and go, man, how you doing? And you're like, man, I'm just, I'm just rested. I'm not busy. I've got time. We're not going from ball game to ball game to ball game to work thing to work thing to work thing to stuff to stuff to stuff. Like I'm not doing, we're saying no to more things. Let's practice that. Y'all ready? One, two, three. Let's say no. One, two, three. Yeah. Oh, come on. Let's say it. Some of y'all were timid. One, two, three. Yeah. No, no. Like, it's okay. You can do it. We need to say no to more things so that we can say yes to God things. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. And just because you're busy doesn't mean you're accomplishing anything. We're too busy. So what does it look like? How do I I refresh my life this year? I'm going to give you some. You ready? Principles of refreshment. Number one, it's going to be mind-blowing. You ready? Pray. Right? Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate that. I love this, Luke chapter 5. But Jesus often, you want to underline that, often, he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Often. It wasn't something he did in emergency situations. It wasn't something he did in just moments where he felt like, like, oh God, I gotta, I've done everything else. I need to pray. He often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. You can see, if you take a, you can do a study through the New Testament, you can see all the times where, where it documented that Jesus withdrew. There are times where he is surrounded by thousands of people and the world is coming after him. And really, in that moment, you would see the, like, the epitome of success for someone like Jesus and what he was doing. And, and you know what he would do? Instead of pressing on and staying there, he would withdraw and pray. Jesus knew that the energy and the refreshment that he needed to continue to produce was found in solitude and prayer. He knew that he had to get along to pray. Did you know this, that people who pray regularly are healthier people? People who pray regularly, it's been proven through studies, they're actually healthier people. Prayer is the most widespread alternative therapy in America today. More people pray than take supplements or herbs or anything else. Over 85% of people uh, confronted with major illness pray. They pray. That's far higher than taking any other uh, uh, natural remedy, non-traditional healing methods. People pray. People who pray are healthier people. Jesus tells us how to pray because his disciples recognized it and understood it, that Jesus would often withdraw and find times to pray and be in solitude. His disciples came to him one day in Luke chapter 11. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Man, we don't get it. We don't understand it. We see you slipping away and being by yourself all the time and you're praying. We don't really understand. Teach us how you do that. Why does that happen? Because here's what would happen. It's kind of crazy. Every time Jesus would slip away to pray, it was like he would come back with extra something. 
The time before he chose his disciples, the Bible says he spent all night praying. And it says that he got up and he went and he chose his disciples. The moment, this is a great story. The moment that Jesus, anybody remember Jesus walking on water? Walking on, he walked on water. You know what, was, you know what he was doing the night before? All night he was praying. Before any significant thing that ever happened in the life of Jesus, he spent significant time in prayer. Jesus goes to the cross for the sins of the world. Guess what he did the night before he died? He prayed in the garden. He spent time regularly seeking the face and the presence of God. What does it look like for us to pray? He gave us an outline in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be our name. You know that song, you know that prayer, many of you do. It's, it's, not, it's not that I gotta pray like that every single time. He gave us an outline. What does it look like? You wanna write this down. Here's a simple way, an outline that you can pray for 15 minutes every day. One, you need to praise. Honor God for who he is. Our Father in heaven. Acknowledge him. Three declarations. What do they say? Hallowed be your name. God, you are good. You are holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Right? It's honoring God. It's worship. Begin your prayer in worship. And then there's request. Give me my daily bread. Hey, God, meet my needs today. That's simple. What are your needs? You got a list. You've honored God for who he is. I got some needs, God. What are my needs? Forgive me my sins. That's, a, that's another request. Forgive my sins and then keep me from evil. That's, that's simple, isn't it? That's simple. And then if, I love it says, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who trespass. What does that mean? It means I'm praying for others. That's a simple outline. God, I'm going to honor you for who you are. I'm going to pray for my needs. I'm going to pray for others' needs. And then I'm going to honor you some more. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. You can work on what that looks like. You go, man, I don't know how to pray. I get bored when I pray. I say, I pray for two minutes and I'm out. Y'all, that ain't no different than me. That's easy to do. It's easy to just get distracted. I'm not, I'm not an intercessory three-hour prayer. I can't do it. You know, like you talk about rest at night. You want me to go to sleep at seven? I'm going to start praying because I'll be asleep in about five minutes. Like I'm the same way. But that doesn't exclude us from the, pro from the process of getting in his presence. What does it look like for me in the presence of God? I need to pray. Number two, you need to take time this year and pause. Take time this year and pause. I love Genesis 2. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he, let's say it together, one, two, three, so he, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from his creation, from the work of his creation. I love the way it lays this out in, in Genesis 2 and 3. It says that on the seventh day, he finished everything and he rested. And then he blessed it and called it holy. You know what I think? I, I'm just kind of trying to think like maybe in that moment, put my feet in God's shoes for that particular moment. I feel like God rested and then realized. If, if God could realize, right? If he could, we know he's God. He's infinite. He's holy. He can do it. Like, like that he was, he rested and then was like, oh, this is, this is holy. This is holy. This needs to happen for everyone. He rested and called it holy. Commit today to place a priority on rest. 
Whatever rest looks like for you. Y'all listen, it looks different between like for me and my wife. We take Mondays off typically. Mondays are our, 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 would be our Sabbath. It's time that I go to church. I listen to messages and I spend time in worship and prayer. And then I, I rest, but my rest looks different than my wife's. My wife's rest is like, do nothing. Like literally do nothing. Don't move. Like don't do anything. And she gets mad because I can't do that. That's not rest to me. Like I like doing stuff and moving and like there's, there's things and activities that are restful to me. But you need to place priority on your rest. I'm setting you free from culture today, okay? Listen, from the guilt of rest. Culture would say, don't do it. Culture says, go, go, go. Do, do, do. Climb the ladder. Never stop. That's not Jesus. Take time. Prioritize. Rest this year. It's countercultural. It's not conforming. And it honors God. I'm going to give you a principle. You ready? It's called the 777 principle. I'm going to challenge you to do that this year. Every seven days, take a day off. Every seven days, take a day off. Don't work. Rest. For some of you, that's Saturday. For some of you, that's Sunday. For some of you, it might be another day during the week. Take a day off and rest. Worship Jesus. Spend time in community. Do life with others, but rest. Every seven weeks, get away. Every seven weeks, maybe take a trip. Spend a night in a hotel in town. Just do something different. Take like one or two days and get away every seven weeks. And then every seven months, vacay. Every seven months, get away. Now, you don't have to spend, well, you can do a staycation, whatever that looks like. Every seven months, prioritize your life in such a way that you do something different. We should take time to regularly pause so that we can give God room in our lives. And then the final thing I'll share with you today is we need to pace. We need to set a pace. Set a pace. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Listen to this. Underline this part, verse 30. My yoke is easy to bear. My burden I give you is light. Jesus never hurried anywhere. You need to pace your life in 2020. The Christian life was never meant to be hurried or tiresome. Never. We'll never see the Christian life that Jesus walked hurried or tiresome. All through the Bible, you see the Lord trying to slow people down. Don't hurry so much that you miss the God right in front of your eyes. Listen, we're too busy looking at everyone else's accomplishments around us, trying to keep up with their pace. Can I tell you, they're depressed, they're miserable, their marriages are failing, their kids don't like them, their their finances are strained, they've outrun their paycheck struggling, and they're struggling to pay the bills, trying to keep up with the pace of the world. And this is my encouragement to you, don't let someone else's pace take you out of the race. Don't let trying to keep up with everybody around you take you out of the race that God's called you to run. What does it look like for me to live a life on purpose this year? I want to pray with you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Our band's going to come. They're going to play some music. And I just want to remind us one more time, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Maybe today you're here and you're going, man, I've, that's me. Brandon, if I'm honest, I am tired. I am rushed. I am hurried. 
I am like full of anxiety, never being able to rest and sleep. And I am like stimulated all the time. There's not a moment that my mind's not running with work or emails or social media or television or something. It's all consuming. And I need to make a commitment this year. I'm gonna be transformed. I'm gonna live countercultural. I'm gonna live my life on purpose. I'm gonna do something that honors God. Maybe for you, the, the first step you need to take is actually to commit your life to Jesus. Maybe you need a Lord and a Savior over your life. The Bible says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only life, only son. He gave his life so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Today, I'm gonna invite you to pull that connect card out. It says, I'm committing my life to Christ. Come on, the first Sunday in a decade, the first Sunday of a new year, you can finally, for once and for all, commit a life to Jesus. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer right where you are. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, today I pray that you forgive me of my sins. Come on, if that's you, just pray that with me. Forgive me of my sins. I confess you as my Savior. And from this day forward, I can follow you as my Lord. I'm gonna live a life on purpose that honors you this year. God, I'm gonna live, I'm, Jesus, I'm walking to your pace so that I can finish the race that you've given me. God, I thank you for salvation and we honor you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, can you celebrate that today?